Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Are you, are you sure? I heard fine, but I'm not so sure. I really believe that based on that. Hey, listen, one of the things, I know we didn't have service last week. Um, we have, and I, this is what happens sometimes when you kind of just speak, but we have been hit hard by people getting sick. Um, so a combination of people being sick, plus the cold and the snow, plus it being New Year, um, last week was part of the reason why we made that decision not to have service. Um, and we have more people out again this week. So I just encourage you to be praying uh, for individuals as they are dealing with some with COVID, some with flu, some uh, with various things like that. I also want to let you know, as Chris had mentioned, um, we do have a lot of things that are going on, but Chris is going in for surgery on Thursday. Obviously very important surgery for him um, with uh, uh, being able to see and things like that. And uh, so today we're continuing. Uh, we got a couple weeks left. We're continuing our, our, our Living Hope sermon series through First Peter. So you can turn to First Peter chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 12. Um, and I want to, as we jump into that, make a couple of announcements to let you know about a couple of things. Last week we talked a little bit about this. Um, if you have version on your phone, uh, you can download the Bible app, version, um, which I have right here. Um, or you can pick these up on the way out. One of the things we want to encourage you as go into New Year is that you are growing on your own in your relationship with Jesus. You may have a Bible reading plan you're doing, and that's great. You may not, and what we're doing is in giving you the tools uh, in order for you to be able to be a part of growing in God's Word throughout uh, the year daily. Now, this one is five by five by five. So what it is is basically uh, five days a week, five minutes a day, and you're going to read through the New Testament during that time. And so five days a week, five minutes a day, five ways to dig deeper. It gives you this idea of what to do. You can pick it up right outside as you go out the doors, and you can do that. Or you can grab the U version. You can look up the Church at Three Trails. You can join our group, uh, and, and you can be a part of that where there's some conversation going on, hopefully, as you're growing with that. I want to let you know about a couple other things coming up. First Impressions Team Training is going to be coming up here January 23rd. If you are a person who loves to smile, loves to greet, you're a warm, welcoming person, we need you to be part of our First Impressions team. And here's the reason why. I believe wholeheartedly. Well, I say I believe. Not, it's not just that. People choose if they're going to come back to our church within, you realize, within the first Technically, they say seven minutes, but usually within the first 90 seconds, somebody's decided if they're ever going to come back, whether it's they weren't greeted warmly or they were greeted warmly. There was uh, people who were excited that they were there, how, how things go on. And so we are looking for people who want to be part of our first impressions team to guide people, to welcome people, uh, to be a part of that. So January 23rd, directly following service, it'll be about 15 minutes. If you're interested, make plans now. Um, and uh, come see me. Come see Maria. You can see Chris. Let us know that you're a part of that. And then the last thing we wanted to let you know, <clears throat> if you are, go ahead and put that next slide up. I think it was there. Yes. If you are interested in becoming part of the Church at Three Trails family, uh, we're going to have what we call Trailhead. It's the beginning point of, of our um, of our new members class, really. So it, what it is, is, if you are interested in becoming a part of the family here at Three Trails, February 6th, directly following service, we'll have a meal for you. We'll let you know about who we are, uh, what we uh, envision, what we're hoping and praying for, and what we're asking the Lord to do, uh, and really what are, you can expect from us as a church. So we want to encourage you to sign up for those things. So if you have your Bibles, First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12, 
Follow along with me. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen above. Listen to what he says. Dear friends, do not be what? Surprised, right? Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But he says, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Today's sermon title is this idea of faith under fire. And one of the things I want you to think about is this reality of having a faith that can withstand the fire and the test of time. One of the things that I experienced as a youth pastor many years over and over and over again was, was taking kids paintballing. Anybody ever been paintballing? Anybody ever been hit by a paintball? It's not exactly the most joyful thing uh, when you're shot with a paintball. But one of the things that I experienced as I was going through with paintball over the years was this. There were times where we would, and, and as a youth pastor, let's be honest, I might as well just put a big fat, I, I thought about this a couple of times, getting a t-shirt that had a big target on it. Because like one of the things the kids would do is be like, oh yeah, we got Brian on our team. And they'd be like, yeah, that means we could shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> and he won't know because we're right behind him. And so we would go down to Ozark, Missouri when I was a youth pastor in Springfield, and we'd head to this place where there was these barn swings and there's paintball and all these things, and we'd go out there. And you know how many times I was hidden behind like a log or a, 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 one of those old electrical spools, and I'd be laying down, and paintballs are just like all over the place, just flying around. And I would sit there and think, oh my gosh, if I get hit by a paintball, what do I do? I stand up. I walk off the course with my gun because I say, I've been hit, and I walk out. But over and over and over again, I would think about this whole idea of what it's like, what if this was real bullets? Like, what if I was in this situation, I was in the military or something like that, and bullets are flying around me, and I am under fire? And so this idea that Peter is talking about is what happens when you face the, the, the bullets in life, when you face the storms and the trials and the struggles and the, the, the winds that blow as a result of suffering and what goes on. And here's one of the things I want to encourage us is there is a theology of suffering in the life of a Christian that we have to begin to understand right? There's, a, there's this mentality that's oftentimes taught by people that if you suffer, that you must not be doing things right, when the reality is all throughout scripture, this theology of suffering is a reality in the life of a believer, that as a result of your faith in Christ, you are going to suffer. Now, one of the things in America that we oftentimes look at, and we're like, well, we really just don't like that idea. Like, it must not be a, 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 a true American faith, because suffering just doesn't, that, that's not what works out. That's not the way things go. When the reality is biblically, yes. There is a theology of suffering we have to begin 
to understand. All of us are gonna go through the difficulties in life, right? We're gonna have storms that rage in our life. We're gonna have winds that are gonna blow. We're gonna have a, a faith that's going to come under fire. I'm oftentimes reminded as I think about this in Daniel chapter three, verses 16 and 17, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing the storms or the fires. And I just want to read real quick, when you think about this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith was tested even to the point of being put in a fire. And listen to what he says in verses 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, now, I want to remind you what's going on. There was a 90-foot statue built by King Nebuchadnezzar, and he builds this 90-foot statue, and he says, you're going to bow down, and you're going to worship, and they don't. And as a result of them not doing it, they are brought before the king, and it says in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, ourselves, or sorry, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand. But then they say this, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So here's this faith under fire that's playing out in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what at the same time we have to understand is that Peter is letting us know that our faith is gonna come under fire if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not familiar with the word of God and suffering, when suffering comes to you as a child of God, you're going to begin to question God. It's things like this. God doesn't know I'm suffering. No, in reality, God knows all things. So he knows I'm suffering. Therefore, God must not care about my suffering. Oh no, I know he cares because God is love. So I know he cares, I know he loves for us, but he's not doing anything about it. So he must not be all powerful. That's not true. We know he is all powerful, but yet he isn't doing anything. So he must not want to save me from the suffering that's going on. That's oftentimes the mindset of people when bad things happen, when suffering starts to take place in the life of a believer, we begin to go through these mindsets and these thought processes that in reality, if we don't have a firm foundation built upon God's word, then we're going to struggle with those things. But when we build our lives upon the truth of God's word, then we can see that suffering is part of the Christian life. Suffering is a basic reality in life, even in the Christian life. And listen, there are some teachers that you're going to hear over and over and over again who would say that if you suffer, you must not be worshiping the God of the Bible. And I would tell you that's hogwash. That's a false gospel. And so here's what I want to do as we unpack some of this. I want to give you the main point today, and then we're going to talk about a couple of things. Number one is this. If you can remember anything, I want you to remember this. Suffering for Jesus is in line with God's will, and we receive a blessing as we continue to trust God by doing good. Suffering for Jesus is in line with God's will. Do you get that point? Suffering is part of the life of a believer. It is in line with the will of God. When I suffer for the name of Jesus, then that is the way God set it up. He knew it was going to happen. It's in line with God's will. But listen, we receive a blessing as we continue to trust God by doing good. 
In other words, I'm going to continue to be obedient to what he's called me to do no matter what it costs me in the long run. And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to look at three types of suffering that we can look at, and then we're going to break down the final type. First type of suffering we see throughout life is this. There's this idea of common suffering, right? Common suffering. It's the, that we all face this type of suffering because we're born. All right, everybody, no matter what you believe, no matter where you were born, we're all going to face this type of suffering. It might be suffering as a result of a natural disaster. It might be suffering as a result of sickness and disease or things like that. But all of us face these common things that we're going to suffer in. Matter of fact, in Job chapter 14, verse one, it says that man was born of woman or man born of woman is a few days and and full of trouble. You know, I consistently say this over and over again. I never had to teach my kids to be disobedient. Never. And so there's this idea that there's this common suffering that we all face. But I want you to think about it even farther. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that when, the, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and as, as a result of them doing what they weren't supposed to do, as a result of sin, God comes to them and he says, listen, cursed is the ground. As a matter of fact, let me, I'll flip there real quick just to read it for you. Genesis chapter 3, he says this in verse uh, 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So there's this idea that these thorns and thistles in life are going to come up. These are common. These are things that we're going to face over and over and over again. And the thorns and the thistles in life are a result of sin. That's the sinful nature that we oftentimes have. So there's common suffering. All of us face it. All of us are going to go through it. All of us are going to deal with those same things. All of us have lost a loved one because of a disease. All of us have lost a loved one because sin has broke in, and as a result of sin, there is death. Number two, there's this idea of carnal suffering, right? When we talk about carnal suffering, it's suffering as a result of our sin. So I use it this way. If I choose to go out and get drunk and get into a car accident and I either maim myself or kill somebody else, there is going to be some suffering that has to take place, right? Like there are going to be consequences for my actions. So if I was to lose my arm in a car wreck because I got drunk or because of doing something else, I am suffering the results of my carnal mentality, the things that I did. In other words, there's this idea of you reap what you sow according to scripture, right? Galatians chapter six, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, right? Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So there are these carnal things that take place. When I sow into my life things that are going to meet the carnal needs but aren't obedient to God, then I'm going to suffer carnally. In other words, I'm going to be held accountable. If I was to go out, get a gun, go and rob a liquor store or a bank or whatever else, there's going to be what? Suffering. Like it may be at the result of me getting shot and killed because the cops had to come, or it may be the fact that my family's going to suffer because I'm going to be put away for life, but there is suffering that takes place as a result of what I do in my life. I reap what I sow. And so we talk about this 
common suffering, which is things that we all face. There's carnal suffering. And thankfully, listen, thankfully, we don't all necessarily suffer the same. But listen, at the same time, I may suffer as a result of somebody else's carnal actions. Right? Right person, right place, wrong time. And it happens consistently in life. And as a result, because of somebody else's carnal actions, because of what they chose to do, other people suffer. Whether we can look at it, whether it's drunk driving or somebody holding up somebody or somebody acting out in violence, it could be as simple as somebody just not paying attention when they drive. And it's the carnal nature of what takes place that we could all begin to suffer through that. But the last thing and the thing we're going to dig into today is this, the idea of Christian suffering. There is suffering that takes place in the life of a believer that we have to begin to align our lives under and to put God's word of authority over us in order to understand how we respond. Christian is this, this idea of Christian suffering is the suffering believers endure for the name of Jesus Christ. And we can sit back and we can say what we want to, but in America, for the most part, we haven't faced a, a type of suffering to the extent that others overseas have, that others overseas do. There's great books, um, and I have them on my bookshelf out here uh, in, in my office, but they're called Jesus Freak. And there's stories over and over and over again about people who have been persecuted for the cause of Christ. There's Jesus Freak, there's Jesus Freak, I think, too, and then there's one that's called Under God, and it's about people who have been persecuted all around. All three of those books, phenomenal books if you want to read about persecution and what believers face. But I want us to understand this from a biblical perspective, that there is Christian suffering, and that's the suffering believers endure, listen, for the name of who? Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. Because we are Christian, we're not immune from suffering. We're not going to forget about the suffering, but I want us to be able to look at scripture and go, okay, here's how I need to be prepared for suffering. And here's how I'm going to respond because we see that in these texts. So suffering, number one, I want you to see this under, under Christian suffering. I want to talk about three things today. Number one is this suffering should not be strange. This is our reaction or our response to suffering, all right? Number one is this, that suffering should not be strange in my life. In the life of a believer, suffering and persecution should not be something that we go, huh, that's weird. I don't know why that happened. Suffering in reality should be a natural thing. It shouldn't be strange. As a matter of fact, I would say this. If you are a believer and you are not suffering for the name of Jesus or you haven't been persecuted for the name of Jesus, now you have to begin to go, what's wrong with me? Because what Peter is laying out is this. If you are a believer and you follow Jesus, you will suffer, you will be persecuted because you will call on the name of Jesus, you will stand on the truth of Jesus' word, and as a result, people are going to look at you differently. See, suffering as a believer should not be strange. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The world is not going to persecute, think about this, a carnal Christian. Like anytime I go out and do the things of the world, they don't look back and go, oh man, I'm going to persecute you because you're a carnal Christian. Nope. 
No, they persecute people who are going to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Satan is not going to challenge you if you're going to consistently give in to carnality, but Satan is going to come at you hard if you are following everything that God wants you to do, if you are approaching things from a biblical perspective. See, when you stand for Christ and you refuse to do what the world does, they will come down on you like a hammer. They're not going to accept everything you do. And I believe this wholeheartedly, that we have to interact and love and be around those people who are lost, who are dying, who don't have a relationship with Jesus. I consistently talk to you about that. I love to hang out with the guys. I'll be, I'll be honest, and this is one of those things. I love to hang out with people who are lost. But it doesn't mean I do what they do. I never cater. I never cower. I never submit myself to the pressure that they unleash on me, but instead I stand for the truth. And here's what's funny about this. In the midst of that, while persecution will come from some or while suffering may come as a result from some, I've also seen the reality of this. When you don't cater and you don't cower to the whims of those, that they begin to respect you differently, even though they may not believe like you. So suffering should not be strange. Listen to this quote from a a pastor named Peter Marshall. When we long for life without difficulties, remind us that oaks grow strong in contrary winds and diamonds are made under pressure. Do you want to know how believers become more faithful, more obedient? is that when the pressure of life and the storms that you face and the suffering and the persecution comes, you become refined. All throughout scripture, it talks about us being refined in the fire where God removes the dross and the impurities and in the midst of the fire and the storms and everything else, the suffering that can take place, God works in my life to grow me into who I'm supposed to be. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. So don't be surprised by it. But you should be surprised if it's not coming because if it's not, then maybe you're not living the life that God has called you to live. Maybe you're not walking in obedience or in obedient, obediently in everything that he's called you to do. See, suffering, listen, leads to our purification because of our participation in Christ. That's what I was just talking about where he removes the dross in the midst of the fire. As a matter of fact, we can go back to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter three, when they're thrown into the fire, that fire was heated seven times hotter. The people who threw them in the fire are killed as a result. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk through the fire. And when the king looks in, what does he say? Not only do I see the three walking around, but I see the Lord. I see a fourth walking around and he looks like the son of God. When you are in the fire, you are not going to go through things alone. When you are in the midst of the storm of suffering and persecution, you do not walk alone by yourself. You walk under the strength and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going to get with number two. Number two, suffering should be rejoiced. Listen to what he says in verse 13. But rejoice that you participate in sufferings of Christ so that you may be, listen to this, overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Here's how that plays out. Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering, but it's rather the presence of God in the midst of suffering. So if I walk through this with this idea of rejoice, listen, he says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings. 
Jesus has never been more precious and more real than when you face persecution and suffering. You know, I go back to those books I was talking about, the Jesus Freak books. One of the things I consistently see in this repetitious pattern is the people who were calm, assured, and joyful, even when it cost them their life because they rested on the promise of God that Jesus would be with them regardless of what they faced. See, in suffering, we should rejoice. When I suffer properly, when I suffer obediently, I should be rejoicing over what I'm doing. Why? Because I'm being counted as a follower of Christ. Think about it this way. If Jesus suffered, why shouldn't you? Matter of fact, there's a a quote that I have. God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. A guy named Augustine said that a long time ago. Old theologian. God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. Jesus suffered, and likewise, we are gonna suffer. That's what scripture promises us. See, rejoicing, though, is a result of the work of Christ in our lives in the midst of suffering. So going back to this idea of being heated up so that God can remove the impurities, the dross, the things that rise to the top, all of us, if we were to look at that, our gold being refined in the fire. And as we face suffering, as we face persecution, that that gold gets heated up and the impurities begin to rise to the top and God skims those off and then he molds us into what he wants us to be. He makes us into the beautiful piece of work that he wants to make us into, but that dross has to be removed so that it's purified. And this idea of suffering is a purifying idea. So suffering, though, should be rejoiced. See, when we participate in suffering, we experience the power of God working. That is why we can rejoice. Listen to what he says in verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Listen, here's why. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So here's the beauty of the promise that why we should be able to rejoice in suffering is because the spirit of God and the power, or sorry, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you in the midst of the suffering that you would go through, in the midst of the persecution you face. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 says this, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when I am at my weakest, I experience the spirit of glory and of God that rests upon me. That I can walk in the power of God because it's not about what I do, but it's about the power of God living in me, the spirit of God living in me. And when I walk through the suffering, when I go through the persecution, I go walk with it rejoicing. Do you ever find it weird that when you read about Paul and those New Testament believers and disciples who were persecuted for their faith, that they walk through it with joy? And I'll be honest, it worries me, it bothers me, and we have to think about this. If persecution was to arise in the state of America, how we would respond? Would we take it? Or would we fight?
That's a big question. Because would you miss out on the blessing of the Lord if you fought? Would you miss out on what God wants to do in your life if you fought? And there is a fine line that we have to begin to understand where, yes, we can hold our government accountable for things because we have to follow the Constitution, but hear me out. When true persecution comes amongst or in the lives of believers and you fight against that very persecution, you may miss out on the very blessing the Lord wants to do in your life in the first place. And that's what I want to get to number three. We said that there's common suffering, there's carnal suffering. Matter of fact, in in this carnal suffering, if you were to follow along in verse 15, it says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. You know that word meddler means? It's like a nosy person, a busybody, somebody who's always got to have their... uh, their nose in, in the wrong place. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe there are some believers within the church. Maybe there's some Christians within the church that I always want to poke their nose wherever it is. But listen, he's saying wholeheartedly what we have to understand. Carnal suffering. Don't suffer as a result of these things. And then number three is this. Under Christian suffering, suffering leads to a blessing. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 16. Actually, verse 14, it kind of talks about it. We talk about rejoicing and overjoyed. But in verse 16, what he says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be what? Ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, right? Praise God that you bear that name. And I want to go back up to verse 14. We talked about just a little bit. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. Matter of fact, we got a highlighter right there on the screen for you to understand that. But this idea of being blessed. Matter of fact, if you were to play this word out and understand it just a little bit more, that blessed word, the same word that we see here in this text, is also the same word that's used in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are we can go all the way down all of those things. But if you were to go to Matthew chapter 5, at the very end of Matthew chapter 5, sorry, the very end of the Beatitudes in verse 10, it says this, blessed or blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That same word blessing actually means this. Hear this out. Prosperous. You want to prosper as a believer? You have to understand that suffering is natural. Suffering is going to take place. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus first, when I follow God no matter what, then when I face those difficulties, it is a blessing for me to go through it. And here's the beauty about it. Over and over, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, the name of Jesus. And the reason you suffer is you're suffering for the sake of Christ, for the good of the gospel, to point others to the truth about who Jesus is and his death, burial, and resurrection that offers us life. Not the life that the carnal world wants to proclaim, but the life that Jesus offers. Listen to what Peter Marshall says. Again, another quote, God will not permit any troubles to come upon us unless he has a specific plan by which great blessing can come out of the difficulty. See, times of persecution and suffering are times when I believe that many are going to feel like quitting but at the same time, they are the greatest opportunities for God to grow us in our faith. 
The very time when people say, that's it, I'm done, I'm cashing in everything I got and I'm walking away is the very thing where God says, you got to cash it all in and rest upon me because suffering leads to the blessing of life in me. That's the promise and the hope. When we talk about this idea of living hope, the whole point of this is not to be Debbie Downer, but to be an encouragement that when you take your stand of faith for Christ, that listen, no matter what happens, what the world brings against you, you can still faith, face it by faith through Christ because he gives you all the strength and everything you need. And so he unpacks that in a very simple way. And he says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Here's the reality, and here's where we have to begin to look inwardly. What he's talking about here is this idea of of discipline within the life of a believer. And you have to bear or give an account. You have to look within your life. You have to look and say, God, am I, am I being a person who understands biblically what it means to suffer? Am I suffering for the name of Jesus or am I continuing to be misled into the worldly ways to settle for carnal ideas and not be obedient to what you've called me to do? Because suffering leads to blessing, to be prosperous. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are prosperous. Remember what I said about some teachers, there, there are teachers online, there are teachers on, on TV and things like that that would say, if you suffer, you're missing out on what Jesus really has for you. It's called the health and wealth gospel. And it's completely contrary because there is a theology of suffering that we have to understand as believers. And I think about it over and over and over again with this health and wealth mentality and I think, man, Jesus was one of the poorest Jesus made ends meet consistently. His disciples lived poor lives. Most of the early believers lost everything. Homes, families, jobs. They had to move around. That's why 1 Peter, that's why James is written because these people were dispersed as a result of the persecution that was rising upon them because they were standing up for their faith in Christ and standing up for obedience to Christ rather than giving into the world. And as a result, they suffered. See, the word for blessed, this whole idea of being prosperous is the very thing that all of us want to experience. All of us want to be prosperous in our life. All of us want to prosper spiritually. All of us want to grow in our relationship. All of us want to follow Jesus to the fullest extent. And in order to follow Jesus to the fullest extent, we have to understand that suffering and persecution should be natural. It's a proper understanding of suffering that leads me to obedience. You know, the one thing about this morning is you've heard over and over and over again, but I even think about this hymn, Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I can what? Face tomorrow. Because He Lives, all fear is. Because I know He holds the future. And life is worth a living just because what? He lives. That's the promise of suffering. That no matter what happens, I can face tomorrow. That no matter what I face, that I can face it with the strength and the power of God in me 
because he is the one who changed me. He is the one who saved me. He is the one who bought me or purchased me, who redeemed me with his death on the cross. And he is the one who gives me a prosperous life, life more abundantly in him. And so listen, as a believer, there are things that I think we have to consider and walk forward to. Number one is this, that we're not to be ashamed. Suffering is not something to be ashamed over. That we are to rejoice. And then the last thing that I would say is this. Look at verse 19. So then those who suffering according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So we shouldn't be ashamed. We should rejoice and we should continue to do good. And what that means is this, that we do good and that's the good that the God talks about all throughout scripture that we live lives of obedience, that we live lives of love, that we love others regardless of how they treat us, that when somebody persecutes us, that we see this consistently throughout Jesus. When, when a person tells you to go one mile, go two. When he strikes you on the right, right cheek, turn the what? Yeah. If I want to grow, if I want to be prosperous, and I believe that we all have to have a proper understanding and a theology of suffering that God calls us to. You and I are called to be obedient to him regardless. That's why there's a big push right now within the church to begin to cater and cower to sinful desires within mankind. To accept. And you can lovingly accept somebody, but you don't have to accept the very things they do. Do you guys get that? When we talk about that, you can lovingly, you can love somebody and disagree with the attitudes and actions within their life, right? I can lovingly be obedient to God and love somebody else even though I disagree with what they do outside. But listen, we have to continue to do good and what that really is bearing out is this, that we live obediently to God no matter the cost. No matter the cost. That's what he's calling all of us to do. Every single one of us to continue to do good and to commit ourselves to our faithful creator, the one who spoke us, who made us, who formed us and fashioned us into existence, the one who sent his son to die on the cross, the very one who paid the price for our sins, the very one who rose again three days later, the very one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the very one who says he's going to come back. And think about that when he comes back. You are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When Jesus comes back, regardless of what I face, I can be overjoyed because when he comes back, everything's going to be made right. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, my encouragement to us as a church, my encouragement to each one of us as believers is this. I have to have a proper understanding of suffering and persecution in order to be obedient to God so I can receive and understand the blessing that God wants to do in my life. The prosperousness of my life is based upon, listen, is based upon my obedience to God regardless of the cost. Doesn't mean you're going to have everything under the sun, but you will prosper in those ways. Father, we thank you.
for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the hope and the promise of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, which purchased, bought us, bought us away from that carnal life, that we don't suffer for our carnality, God, that we can, we can confess our sins because you are faithful and just, but Lord, we also know that there are consequences for the very sins we do carnally, that we're gonna be held accountable for those. And yes, you may forgive us, but there are things that come as a result, but Lord, I pray that we understand what it means to be a Christian who suffers, that we can suffer and it's not a strange thing, that we can rejoice in the midst of suffering and that we can experience the blessing that you have because you wanna do a great work in us. You wanna mold us and make us into something pure, something that's been refined by the fire, something that has come and, and, and been tested by the trials and the storms of life. And so Lord, may we be people who walk by faith that when the storms and the winds blow around us, that we can stand secure on your promise because you live, we can face tomorrow. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.